Hey everyone, and welcome to The Webline, a podcast about Spider-Man and his amazing world. Here, we discuss all aspects of our favorite web-slinger in a fun, informal, but informative forum. I am your humble host, the Spidey Librarian, and to continue our spooky season slate of episodes, I'm going to be presenting you with a character spotlight on one of the terrifying, nightmare-inducing Spider-Man villains mentioned in the previous episode, known simply as Freak. Be sure to subscribe to the webline on your favorite podcast service and leave us a like, review, and follow where appropriate. If you're on a service that doesn't carry the webline, let me know by shooting me an email at spideylibrarian at gmail.com and I'll do what I can to get it pushed out to you. And finally, for those of you with us on the live stream today, please be sure to thwip the like button and chime in with your perspectives in chat. I'd also like to ask you to stick around for the full length of the episode as I have a special announcement I'd like to make for listeners near the end of the show. But... Before we do a daring dive into our timely topic, it's time to dish on the latest spiderific developments with our knockout news segment, The Bugle Newsflash. So the news of the week has pretty much been dominated by Marvel's Spider-Man 2, and we've got several different items to talk about with regard to the game. Uh, there, there really hasn't been much else, not much that I've seen, but uh, what we've got from the game is pretty interesting. The marketing blitz has pretty much just continued this week. We keep finding out new things about the games. I think I've got like four different news items just on these items. Recently, they dropped some new character designs. They, they did character designs for Norman Osborn, Harry Osborn, Rio Morales, Mary Jane Watson, Genki Lee... I don't, I don't, and then Haley, whose name I don't know, or uh, whose last name I don't know. Haley is the street artist that Miles kind of very, like, subtly dated during the Miles Morales game. And she's cute. And she's also hearing impaired and a street artist. And I thought, I thought what they had was really sweet. So I'd like to see more of that. And hopefully we get to see more of her in this game. But uh, the character designs themselves, they looked pretty pretty decent overall. I would say that some were definitely better than others. Uh, the runaway favorite for me was Norman Osborn. He looked pretty much exactly like he did in the first game, but like even, I, I don't know, he, he just looked even more like polished. Uh, looked very kind of like mean, angry, powerful, like don't mess with me. I, I really liked his, like in terms of expecting a character to kind of look the way I expected from the previous game. Excellent. Excellent job. Harry was actually probably the worst for me. Harry looked like just about any any other dude, basically. He, he looked like any kind of, like, white bro, for, for lack of a better word, and, and I was not too impressed. Harry's character design in the first game is very different. He, he looks like kind of a... He has a definite vibe to him. He's got kind of a well-off, son-of-a-rich-guy kind of vibe to him. Um, and that's just from, like, a tiny little thumbnail that you see of Harry during the messages that he talks to Peter during the research uh, station missions. So, got a lot more of a vibe from that than I did from this iteration of Harry. Hopefully they'll get a chance to turn that around. But that, that initial portrait, I just wasn't too impressed with. 
Everyone else looked pretty decent. Uh, Rio, I was, the biggest issue I had with Rio is that you could see that, like, the, the necklace or the beads that she was wearing, they were clearly, like, elevated. You could see shadows of them on, on her blouse. And I was like, why, why did you guys even release that? That, that should have been a thing that, uh, would be easy to, to correct. But Genki looked good. Uh, Mary Jane definitely looked different from the previous game and I kind of feel I, I don't know a lot of people said that the lighting on those were not great and so that she probably will you know she looks better in the trailers which I think I agree but um this is this is Insomniac's MJ so they're gonna do what they're gonna do with her and you know so far I haven't been disappointed with Lois Lane MJ from the first game so we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, her, her design, it was okay. It was okay. Um, and then Haley, Haley just looks like Haley from the Miles Morales game and she cute. And, uh, I, I, I hope we, I do hope we get to see, uh, more of her in this game. Another Spider-Man 2 news item, critical reactions to the game, uh, the, the date that those can start is now known. On Monday, October 16th, and that's when you can expect to start hearing uh, reactions from people who have played the game early, who are who are critics, and who can talk a little bit more about what they actually think of the game. Uh, hopefully, those reactions and reviews will not have a lot of spoilers, but we're going to just have to wait and see. Um, I've, I myself, like, I will be only reading reviews that basically say there are no spoilers in this review, so... You know, it's going to gonna be a difficult last week because we're going to have to really kind of stay vigilant and not get hit by spoilers. And sometimes that can be a real trick. So, but yeah, Monday, October 16th, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. That's when we can expect to start seeing reactions from people who have played the game and are reviewing it critically. Uh, the marketing blitz continues. We just got the Marvel Spider-Man 2 Be Greater Together trailer which I don't think featured any real gameplay footage. It was mostly Miles and Peter fighting Venom, who is just wiping the floors with them. So I made a theory video about how Peter Parker could be Venom. Um, I'm pretty sure that theory has just been shot. So, you know, which, okay, that's fine. I've, I've It's not going to be the, not the first time I've ever been wrong. It won't be the last. And these kinds of speculations are fun anyways. So if you get a chance, check out that video because I think I make some pretty well-reasoned arguments for it. So anyways, I loved that trailer. It was so good. I actually have done a reaction to it on stream. I will be making an individual YouTube video for it, and that will be going up on the channel at some point in the next probably week or two. I'm kind of getting into a rhythm with content creation, and I think I've found one that works for me, so hopefully you guys will start seeing more regular content from me very, very soon, and not just on this podcast and my, you know, my Friday night content creation stream. All right, and then finally, for the shoe collectors among us, uh, Spider-Man 2, uh, Sony and Adidas are partnering to make a uh, Marvel Spider-Man 2 shoe collection. And right now, the only one that they have shown is the one that looks like Spider-Man's advanced suit. And it's getting kind of taken over from the bottom by, uh, by, by the Venom symbiote. It looks really good. And if you get a chance, just Google Sony Adidas Spider-Man shoes and you'll, you'll have a look. And uh, I, I mean, I want a pair 
Um, I it, it certainly wouldn't be my first pair of Spider-Man shoes. I will, for, for those of you who are actually watching the stream right now, I'm going to take off my shoe and show you. Uh, this is actually an Adidas shoe. This is a Spider-Man design. Uh, it's from a couple of years ago. And uh, I really do like, I mean, Adidas is a very well-established maker of, of shoes. And so they make a good product. So I'm sure it'll be expensive, but it might be worth it for someone like me. I mean, this is like a practical investment. This is clothing. And you guys who are on the live stream, you can see the clothes that I wear. I wear these all the time. I wear compression shirts. I wear these gloves. I have, you know, I have, I have a Spider-Man bathrobe. Um, so of course I have Spider-Man shoes and certainly when Adidas puts this out, if I can get them, I certainly will. And that's all the Spidey news for this week. Now, let's get ready for our feature segment, a Spooktober character spotlight on the villain known only as Freak. <laughs> Some of you are wondering, what has gotten into you, Spidey Librarian? Why are you talking about this no-name, practically one-shot holdover from the brand new day era, when there are dozens of more established, genuinely scary foes of Spider-Man to talk about? And to an extent, I'm with you. But really, there's something about Freak's character design intermittent and ephemeral appearances, and really the anonymity that makes him stick out for me. Uh, sure, he's, he's no carnage, or vermin, or venom, or even swarm, or the sin eater, but he's been a genuine threat when he's gone up against Spidey, and I find him fascinating because of his abilities, grotesque presentation, and frankly, because he's nowhere to be found for now. So, settle in for a short, sweet, and somewhat scary spotlight on Freak. So, one of the first things I want to talk about with regard to Freak is his first appearance, because I went over where he first appears recently versus what a lot of people say, say his first appearance is. Uh, most sources say that his first appearance is in Amazing Spider-Man number, I think it's 546. I think it's like the very first Brand New Day issue. And he may actually be in that issue. I did not see him. Freak's first real appearance is in The Amazing Spider-Man number 552. That is when you see Freak in line at the Feast Center. He grabs the cash box when he doesn't think anyone's looking and he runs away. Spider-Man chases him. And uh, essentially, to me, that is his real first appearance. The drug addict guy that you see is, you know, like it's probably a cameo in number 546 that I missed. I've, I've done that kind of thing before. And that's fine, but like for me, 552 is his real first appearance. Freak first appeared in The Amazing Spider-Man number 552, to me at least, in 2008, the creation of writer Dan Slott and artist Marcos Martin. 
He was once a homeless man, an active drug addict, whose desire for the next fix landed him in a lab owned by Kurt Connors when Spider-Man was chasing him after he stole money from Feast. He injects himself with animal stem cell fluids, believing that they were crystal meth, and uh, that triggered a horrifying transformation. He entered a chrysalis state, and when he emerged, he was essentially a skinless monster. And if you look at some of the pictures that are on the slide for my uh, live stream viewers, he didn't have many appearances, so these are some of his first appearances. And you'll also get a look briefly at him when he, uh, before he triggered his transformations. He was shot by the police shortly after this appearance, and he fell into a hole that led to the sewer and entered another chrysalis by the time he hit the bottom. When he emerged this time, he was now bulletproof, having been killed by a policeman's bullet, and had spawned an exoskeleton and still looked grotesque. That is pretty much the one constant for Freak. He always looks grotesque. He also developed enhanced senses and was able to track Spider-Man by scent. After goading him into another fight, Freak smells a nearby meth lab and seeks it out to get high. He kills the meth makers, and Spider-Man follows him in time to see him trying to get high amongst the carnage. As they fight again, the building is set ablaze, and Freak gets consumed by the fire. Again, he enters a chrysalis, and by this point, Spider-Man has contacted Kurt Connors, who is able to piece together what Freak is by explaining what had happened. A blizzard delays Freak's emergence from the chrysalis, and Spider-Man and Connors come up with a way to put him in stasis during his chrysalis phases. When he emerges this time, he's bigger, vaguely ape-like in appearance, and is dead set on killing Spidey, who he blames for his current condition. They fight, and Peter is uncertain what he'll do next to defeat him. When Connors arrives with the chemical agent to put Freak in stasis, Spider-Man convinces him, Freak, that Connors has drugs in the trunk. Freak immediately ingests the material, which kills him, and I, I'm holding that up in quotes here, inducing a chrysalis. They pour more of this quicklime on it, and it keeps the chrysalis static and unable to reconstitute Freak. The scientists cart him off, and eventually it is revealed that they are Oscorp employees in disguise. From this point on, there's no truly meaningful stories involving Freak. Uh, the closest I can think of is that Oscorp has essentially been injecting Freak with various diseases and using him to cure them. They've even in injected him, I think, with the anti-venom symbiote to see if they could synthesize a cure for that. And I'm not sure what has gone on since then, but in terms of Freak actually appearing, he gets cameos in a couple of stories, like I think Origin of the Species, which is a story I hope to cover someday. But nothing really meaningful in terms of him being a personal threat to Spider-Man. So I'd like to talk about Freak's appearance, his personality, and his powers here. Freak's appearance is grotesque, with his skin and muscles exposed uh, due to the chemicals that he ingested. Uh, he sometimes wears a mask to cover his face and a trench coat to cover his body. But with each chrysalis, his powers increase and his appearance changes. 
often to something even more hideous as a result. One distinctive feature that he had before becoming a monstrous villain was a genetic mutation that gave him one brown eye and one blue eye. And if you take a look at the pictures that come up of Freak uh, before he became a monster, you'll see that he has differently colored eyes. He's a, uh, what is it? What is it called? Heterochromatic, I think? From the get-go, Freak is not established to have much of a personality outside of selfish, uncaring, and desiring only to get high. He is a deranged and dangerous individual who doesn't care about anyone but himself, and he is obsessed with killing Spider-Man. He blames Spider-Man for what happened to him, and essentially that is the reason he sets out to kill him. Freak's powers include an adaptive mutation that keeps him from dying and gives him immunity to the last thing that quote-unquote killed him, superhuman strength and agility, and an enhanced sense of smell. He's bulletproof, he's immune to fire and burn damage, and has been shown to adapt a range of powers and abilities as needed, such as wall crawling. He can track his targets by their scent, which makes him a formidable opponent for Spider-Man. Behind the Scenes and Impact Freak was one of a number of new adversaries introduced during the Brand New Day saga, which saw Peter's life reset and his marriage to Mary Jane erased after the events of One More Day. After a handful of appearances, Freak was more or less put on a bus and relegated to small appearances of little significance. At the time of his appearances in the comic books, he was described as an analog to Doomsday, a Superman villain with the ability to adapt and mutate. Unfortunately, Freak had little personality outside of a general contempt for other people and a never-ending desire to get high, and readers did not seem to particularly care for him one way or the other. As a result, Freak has not had a significant impact on Spider-Man's personal life, but he has appeared in several story arcs including New Ways to Die and The Gauntlet. Freak's impact on the comic book as a whole is minimal, but he is, to me at least, an interesting villain who adds diversity to Spider-Man's rogues gallery. My personal take on Freak is that he's an ideal choice for this week's character spotlight for a number of reasons. His character design is difficult to forget, partially because it embraces the kind of horrific body horror of David Cronenberg, for example, even as it changes and mutates every time he enters a chrysalis. The nameless nature of the character is also a potential problem for Spider-Man, who for the most part knows his nemesis' civilian identities and sometimes taunts them with this information. If Freak were to ever return and become a real threat to the web-slinger, Peter would have a very hard time trying to figure out who he is. But I think the biggest reason I think Freak deserves a spotlight is because he presents a unique writing challenge to anyone who wants to tell a story with him. The nature of his adaptive mutation and resultant powers and abilities has the potential to get a lesser writer to effectively write himself into a corner. If Freak functionally is immortal now, how would Spider-Man be able to realistically be able to dispatch him uh, every time he quote-unquote dies and spawns a new power or immunity? I think it was pretty clever to build that back door of effectively putting 
him in a stasis cocoon to, you know, pull him out and take him away. But I also wonder if it's a sign of the kinds of limits writers have with a character like this or Darwin from the X-Men comics. In any case, I wish we'd seen more of this terrifying foe since the Brand New Day era, kind of like being trotted out for those special occasions where Peter really needs to be put through the ringer by someone other than Venom, Green Goblin, the Kravinoff family, or Doc Ock. I think it would make for a fun exercise in imagination for the writers and editors of the Spider-Man comics and would lend a stronger sense of continuity to this more modern swath of villains. I also think a personality, or at least a compelling reason for it, could be developed for this character, finally giving him a little depth and making him a more memorable Spider-Foe. The writer who does that will have accomplished something special indeed. And that's my analysis and spotlight of Freak, one of the more terrifying, at least in appearance, foes. And I would, I would argue concept as well, because if he hadn't been put in a stasis cocoon, Spidey could have suffered the same fate that Superman did with Doomsday. Thank you for listening to this spotlight on one of Spider-Man's lesser known, but freakishly ferocious, foes. Before I close out this section of the podcast, I'd like to make a special announcement. I am creating a Patreon, and it is live as of right now. I'll have the link in the show notes. The Spidey Librarian Patreon gives listeners and viewers of the podcast and my main YouTube channel the opportunity to join my small but growing community as I keep creating content about our favorite wall crawler. I'm starting with just one tier, the $5 Spider Society Citizen tier, which will afford members shoutouts on the Webline podcast, a special thanks listing on my uploaded YouTube videos, access to the private Patreon feed, which will feature extra polls, posts, and photos and videos of me and my cat Trouble, and a special role on the Spidey Librarian Discord server, Spider Society Citizen. Access to the Spidey Librarian Discord server is and will always be free. More roles, perks, and possibilities will be possible as we grow and diversify the existing tier, including the possibility of early access to videos, patron-only videos and streams, and appearances on live streams and the podcast. So join the Spidey Librarian Patreon today and help grow our Spider Society citizen tier into a full-blown Spider-Man community. Thank you for listening, and now let's move on to the Web Spinner's recommendations. For this week's Web Spinner's recommendation, I'm all about continuing the spooky theme and would like to suggest another piece of media that leans into the spooky and the scary, the classic horror film, Night of the Living Dead. I remember watching this film on reruns when I was a kid, and it struck me very, very blatantly. Um, there was a sense of profound hopelessness that I had not encountered in a scary movie before. I'd seen like some slasher flicks and some other stuff that my parents hadn't wanted me to see when I was a toddler. Um, and you know, like I, I, those were fine. I probably got nightmares as a kid, you know, but 
you know, I, w I went on to read scary stories to tell in the dark and, and loved it. It's, it's all good. It's all good. But Night of the Living Dead was something special. Night of the Living Dead really kind of uh, drove home the idea of a crisis that you just may not be able to survive. There were people trapped in the house working with each other that didn't necessarily like each other, and that caused teamwork to be an issue. It was an excellent horror film. And the zombies in the film, they're never called zombies. They're called ghouls, essentially. And they are, that's, that, that's what George Romero imagined them as. Up until Night of the Living Dead, the word zombie effectively had a different meaning. It was essentially a, uh, it, it was like, um, it, it originated, I think, in Haitian, uh, voodoo culture. And it was like an enslaved kind of, maybe it was, I don't know, I don't know if it was a dead person who was resurrected specifically to be enslaved by the person that rose it, or if it was someone near death, and they were just robbed of all, like, will and, and individuality, and was effectively just a vessel for, to be controlled by someone else. When Night of the Living Dead came along, those ghouls basically became the definition of the word zombies, and that has influenced the use of the word in not only uh, horror films, but just horror culture in general ever since. And so that was that was something that I didn't know until fairly recently. And again, that's a movie that really, it scared me in a way that a lot of movies hadn't up until then. It really instilled a sense of hopelessness and dread that I hadn't felt up to that point. And let me tell you guys, I was hooked. I wanted more... I wanted more stories like that because it really made me feel differently and really loved it. So highly recommend Night of the Living Dead. If you have not seen it, if you claim to be a fan of horror movies, Night of the Living Dead is a must-see. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it. And even if you have, go treat yourself to it again. It's a good one. And I believe that brings us close to the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode of The Webline, please be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on my YouTube channel, simply named Spidey Librarian, where I also maintain a playlist of all podcast episodes. The Webline is also available on audio services, so when you see us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or another such service, please leave a review, rating, and where possible, follow us as well. You can find me on my socials under the name Spidey Librarian on Threads, Twitter slash X, Instagram, Facebook, WordPress, Twitch, and now Patreon. Finally, if you'd like to shoot me an email, you can contact me at SpideyLibrarian at gmail.com, where I'll be happy to hear your thoughts, rants, and ideas. You never know. Your email might be featured in an upcoming episode. Next week's episode of The Webline will be delayed as I'm heading off to New York City for New York Comic Con. When I return, I'll be doing a review of the 2007 film Spider-Man 3, which introduced another terrifying foe of Spidey's to the big screen, Venom. What do I think of this final chapter of the Raimi trilogy, and why do so many viewers disagree with me about it? 
You'll have to tune in sometime shortly after October 15th to find out. Thank you for listening, and until the next episode, I'll be wishing you a good day.